Welcome to Leap Listens, the employer branding podcast. I'm Sarah and I'm joined by my co-host, Roger. Hello. Leap Listens is brought to you by Leap Create, a dynamic people communications agency. Today, we're joined by Vicky Saunders. Vicky is an expert in EVP and employer brand. She headed up the employer brand team at Boots, BA Systems and Curry's, leading each business to step change, their talent attraction and drive positive change in their culture. Before landing in employer branding, Vicky built her career as a marketeer in consumer marketing, leading the biggest advertising campaigns at Boots and made no less than 64 TV ads, including Here Come the Girls series. She is a strategic marketer who is passionate about drawing both on art and science to drive far-reaching impact in an organisation. Vicky now offers consultancy in EVP and employer brand. Welcome to the podcast, Vicky. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Roger. Hello. So, Vicky, tell us about you and your background in employer branding. Yeah, thank you. So I've been in employer branding for about, I think it's my ninth year I'm coming into now. And I've done, I've led the employer brand teams at three organisations. So Boots first, then I was at BAE Systems for 18 months where I like created the function. They, they had no employer branding before. And then I've been at Curry's since then. Um, but yeah, about nine years. So yeah, I've been around for a while and uh, love it. Yeah. I've got to just ask how you got into it because the common thing that we hear is, oh, I just sort of fell into it. So how, how, did, how did you arrive? Here? Oh, God. Um, so I'm a marketeer, I suppose. I, I spent nearly 10 years in the advertising team at Boots, made 64 TV ads for Boots. So I, am, wow. I do come from a marketing background rather than an HR one. But over the time at Boots, I've had quite a diverse career. I did some time in proposition development, developing pharmacy services for Boots. I did corporate comms, so facing into... NHS, Department of Health, Public Health England, all of that kind of thing. And that's quite a big employer reputation kind of area. And then when the employer brand role came up, I thought that sounds amazing to be able to do marketing in the HR space and really make a difference to the culture and the people. I just thought that would be an amazing opportunity. So I put my hand up and I got it. So Fantastic. Great. So you have a unique way of describing the EVP and employer branding using a chocolate metaphor. Can you explain that to our, our listeners? Yeah, sure. So if anybody's hungry while they listen to this, I'm sorry, because um, I talk about Mars bars. So I think of the EVP as being like a naked Mars bar. It doesn't have a wrapper on it. It's made up of lovely nougat and caramel and milk chocolate. So there's some design that's gone into it first, right? You're not actually working with raw ingredients. So you've you've actually thought about how to make a really tasty Mars bar. And it has to be different to your competitors, has to be tasty, and that's that's the EVP. Then when you put a wrapper on it, the black wrapper with the red logo, that's the employer brand. That's when you've given it an identity and a personality. And then recruitment marketing. I think of as being when you go into Sainsbury's and you see your Mars bars alongside your bounties and your crunchies and all the rest of it. That's a bit like recruitment marketing. It's when we're trying to like shift Mars bars is the same as when we're trying to fill vacancies. So we go out on job boards and it's the same thing, really. You know, there'll be a promotion code on pack in Mars bars saying win a holiday to Barbados. That's when they're trying to shift loads of Mars bars in one go. And that's the same as us when we, we post on job boards. Then the last part's about employer reputation. And so I think of the brand as being what you say about yourself. 
And then your employer reputation is what other people say about you. So if the Daily Mail write about Mars and talk about what they're doing that's amazing in, in the, you know, the well-being space, that's their reputation. So that's how I describe the four things. Yeah, no, I like that a lot, actually. It's good, uh, isn't it? Yeah, and I suppose as well, like like chocolate, if I can stretch a metaphor even further, which I'm I'm, I'm good at, is that I suppose, you know, Mars Bar isn't for everyone no. either. Some people might like a topic. Absolutely. Do they still do topics? <laughs> so, yeah, you actually took me right back because I remember when I was in the Cubs, we got to visit the Mars factory, and I'm sure this wouldn't happen these days, but we were allowed to just take stuff straight off the production line. So I remember eating a Mars bar when it was just the nougat and caramel before it had the chocolate on. So it was a, yeah, tasted amazing. <laughs> I mean, the fact they do this, let, let sort of kids lean over the conveyor yeah. belt, I don't think that would happen these days. Know, yeah. wasn't, no, no, probably not. It wasn't. <laughs> 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 oh, dear. That's fantastic. I love, I do love that metaphor. Um, and it's definitely one that um, I think we'll be, be using moving mm. forward. So, Vicky, why is having an EVP more important than ever? I think because the talent market is is becoming more and more challenging. And, and, and I think part of that is because expectations that employees have of employers it, it are getting, you know, more and more complex, you know. So the old give and the get that we saw years ago like my, when my parents were in the job market you know they were they got paid they might have got paid holiday they might not have got sick pay health and safety law didn't come until 1974 in the uk whereas now the stuff that you expect from an employer absolutely is about well-being it can be about sustainability it can be about purpose vision all of that stuff so the expectations are so much higher but then also from a point of view of what's important to a business, EVP, I think, for quite a long time has been like a stepping stone to an employer brand. And people have seen it as being, you know, a piece fundamentally about attraction. But if attraction isn't so much the issue, and we're seeing, oft, you know, in lots of organisations, reports of how um, they're more and more worried about attrition not just attraction, then just making a pretty employer brand isn't going to be enough. You fundamentally have to have the foundations in place mm. of a strong EVP to be able to attract and retain. That's really interesting, actually, because we had Susan Lamott on one of our early podcasts talking about an EVP is actually an EBR, which is an employer brand relationship and and kind of sees that it's moved beyond that given get transactional language to the way that yeah. people have a relationship with various different aspects, whether that's their managers, the work that they're doing, the organization itself, and then their the co-workers that they work with and all those things kind of come come together um, rather Absolutely. than it just being kind of, you know, we give you swapping your time for money, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Great. So some organisations need to get buy-in for from the leadership teams um, for the EVP. How can they create a compelling business case? And can you give us some tips on those steps? Yeah, sure. Um, so I th I've done this three times now in different organisations um, and every business case has been very different. I tried to use shortcuts, but I'm afraid there aren't any because it has to be specific to the problems that that organization is facing. 
So, um, for example, at BAE Systems, which is a defence organisation, there are real challenges around getting more women into engineering. It's not just BAE Systems. That's a problem for us on a national level, right? But the EVP investment that we created there that I got signed off by the board was around the business case of increasing the number of women that would be part of the workforce by developing an EVP that would be strong enough and specific enough to attract and retain women into engineering. And that was totally different from when I went to Curry's and then had to write a business case for the EVP there. And actually that was more to do with attrition and specifically early attrition in some of the high volume roles. So um, drivers, delivery drivers, um, frontline sales colleagues in stores. So it has to be specific to the organization. But the one common thing I've found in the three places where I've done this is ex-co's tend to be quite competitive. So if there, there is a human part of this, that yes, you need all your numbers and your ducks in the road to get the business case signed off, but it also does no harm to show what your talent competitors are doing in that space because ex-co get a little bit, oh, right, okay, the fight's on, let's get into it, you know, right. because it's a commercial piece, you know. So that would be the other thing to just keep in mind about how you manage stakeholders. So thinking about all these things and when it talking about a business case, ultimately, I say whether that's increasing increasing the number of women that are going into engineering or or trying to retain frontline retail staff. At some point you're gonna be someone's gonna be saying, Okay, you said you do this, how have you achieved it? How long into that journey are you kind of measured on on those on claims of your business case? Oh, okay. So it it can it varies depending on the metric. Yes. Yeah, so, so some things can be really fast turnaround, like actually um, things like time to hire, you can reduce relatively quickly. Um, things like the softer measures around advocacy take a long time to be able to shift. So my, my advice would be to keep the attribution window, by which I mean how long you're measuring some of these things open for quite a long time especially in places like the early career space, if you want to look at the impact of an EVP on early careers, the cohort is changing every year, but that cohort will start researching which organisation they want to go to from a graduate or an apprentice place, maybe two or three years before the programme starts. So the attribution window that you can measure is by definition much longer. And do you sell it in as, as a continuous investment because it you know it's not like you're selling in a piece of technology is it that, that you can see oh, if we buy this it's going to have this benefit here i guess it has to be a, an ongoing commitment to something and that that can be tricky can't it when you're making that case yeah yeah i suppose the gold standard measurement would be if you can start to see patterns in data that indicate future behaviors so if you can be you are able to see that if advocacy goes up and engagement goes up on social and therefore it decreases time to hire and increases quality. Great. So what are the key elements of a strong EVP and how do they contribute to attracting and retaining top talent? So there are common ones that I think everybody talks about and we're fairly universally 
agreed on as as EVP professionals, I suppose. And it, you know, everybody will will agree that it needs to be differentiated. So it has to be different from your talent competitors. I would say word of caution though. Some people don't define their talent competitors before they start an EVP piece. They look at who their commercial competitors are and they're rarely the same. So really it's important to define talent competitors up front. It needs to fit with the values and the mission and purpose of the organization. That's an obvious. And authenticity. I think we're all on board mm. going, it has to be authentic. There's a, there's a degree of aspiration, but it has to be authentic. Otherwise, you just drive early attrition. But I think the other bits that we're not universally looking at um, mm. when we're doing EVP work is um, I think we need to do more around segmentation. So in the three EVPs that I've done, that's that's been a big part of it because if you don't define the talent segments that you want to be able to attract and retain in the future, and you just take a snapshot of your current workforce, let's say you talk to 5% of your workforce, you will get pretty much a, a mirror of that at scale in the future. And if actually you don't want the exact same workforce as you've got today, you don't want the same skills and capabilities, you might have decided you need more data scientists or software engineers. Well, you need to then put those into your focus groups and into the methodology to ensure that you've got enough of those to be able to build that into the organization. Equally, anything from a DNI point of view, if you've decided that, you know what, we're really undercutting ourselves on um, representation from a disability point of view or from a um, sexual orientation point of view, you need to build that in because otherwise you will get what you've already got. Yeah, um, it's a slight um, tangent, but it's something that you've mentioned. I'm, I'm really interested, particularly given the different types of organisations you work for. But how do you facilitate, shall we put it that way, advocacy among employees? Gosh, that's a massive topic. Um, uh, we've got another 15 minutes to talk just about um, advocacy has to come from the heart. Otherwise, it's not authentic and it, it simply won't take off. Um, we tried for a number of years at Boots trying to engage our colleagues around I mean, 60,000 people. Right. So there's a good, a good workforce to go at trying to engage them around the key pillars within our EVP, you know, because we wanted to drive thought leadership in those areas. And we did get some uptake. We did get some great moves, but it wasn't really until we stopped trying to force the employer brand messaging through our advocates that it really took off. And the, the way that it took off is I went right the way back to the pride question on the Pulse survey because it has to come from the heart. So you need to ask the question, which is about how people feel. So that's the gold mine. That's the place to go where you go into your pulse survey, where it says, are you proud to work at Boots? And people look at the verbatim comments and it will be about things like, I'm, I'm proud of the work we do with children in need. I'm proud of the work we do with Macmillan, that you know we, we, we make over women suffering from you know the side effects of cancer treatment. We do makeovers for them. It's those kinds of things that you have to harness in advocacy. Mm -hmm. The other stuff then comes later because people build up confidence about the stuff that they're passionate about. And then once their, when their confidence is in place, then 
yes, you can start building in more messaging, but for me, it has to start from the heart. And so it has to start with the, the content that's around what people feel strongly about. That's great. That's well, great answer. So finally, we ask all of our podcast guests uh, what their top reads or listens are. Oh, so I'm... I, I'm geeking out a bit at the minute. Um, in, I, I do like to dabble in a little bit of neuroscience. Mm-hmm. I suppose it's because I'm a marketeer and I'm just fascinated in psychology, mm. right? So recently I've read Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. Have you, have you heard of it? No. So he is from Yorkshire, I think, but he's one of the premier scientists in the world around sleep. And he has discovered lots of things around sleep that, nobody knew before one of the things is around what kind of sleep you are and it is now scientifically proven that some of us are actually early birds and up with the larches some of us you know like to burn the midnight oil and he's worked out what proportion of the population people fall into into these three categories um and i'm definitely one of the early birds and my husband is definitely the midnight oil so we see each other for a few hours a day but that's fine oh, that's great we um just recently had our eb meetup and we had matt Phelan from the happiness index and he talks a lot about oh, yeah. neuroscience and i'm actually happiness. just listening to his first book he's got his next one out in the end of the year mm. about september october time um, it's called Freedom to be Happy, the Business Case for Happiness. And it's all about neuroscience okay. and what people, yeah. you know, how people are happy in their, their work. And obviously that there is evidence um, that suggests that um, it makes a company much more profitable and, and runs better. Um, it's really interesting. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it was a fantastic um, talk you gave, but it, it, yeah. it wasn't just about like being permanently happy either. It was yeah. It was about the fact that, you know, being either permanently happy or permanently sad, you know, it's not a desirable, um, a desirable outcome, but how it's this kind of thing that builds over, over time. Definitely recommend his podcast with good too. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I'll check it out. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Vicky. Um, that's been, been remarkably fast, hasn't it? It has. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there's so, you've, you've got so much more knowledge that we could, we could dig into, but I guess it wouldn't be bite sized if I, I asked too many questions. So um really appreciate you coming on. Thank yeah. you very much. Thank you. Thanks, Vicky. Thanks for listening. For more expert insights, check out our other bite-sized episodes, perfect for micro learners and those with a short attention span, just like me. And if you're in employer branding and recruitment marketing, you might be interested in our monthly EB meetups. Just search EB Meetup on LinkedIn and join our community. For anything else, contact us via leapcreate.co.uk. See you next time.